Hey everyone, you are now tuned in to Colors Newspaper Live, the talk show that is going to stimulate your mind through community issues and advocacy. I am your host, Anthony Gaines II, CEO and editor of Colors Newspaper Inc. Thanks for tuning in on this lunch hour. This show is surely to fill you up. Thank you for tuning in to The Boomer and the Millennial. Once again, brought to you by Colors Newspaper, Inc., right here on Louisville's favorite gospel station, 1240 AM, WLLV. I am your host. Well, I'm half of your host here, Anthony Gaines II, sitting here with the revered and wise Doc Robinson. How's it going, Oh, uh, How you doing? I'm the other half of this uh, platform. Uh, good afternoon. Did you bring your sunshine in with you? I brought the sunshine. I done brought it all, man. I'm, I'm ready. I've been looking forward to this episode. Okay, I look forward to this rumble. every Let's week. rumble, young man. Let's rumble. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So like we said, we thank you all for tuning back in for another fantastic episode. And what we like to do on this show is we like to bring thought-provoking content. You know, like I always say, we don't have all the answers, but we can start the conversation, get you all in, tuned in with the conversation, the dialogue. And then we're going to give you perspectives from the boomer and from the millennial. So we got a great show for you. Um, so if you're tuned in, if you are a boomer, take a couple minutes. Go get you a piece of paper and a pen. I know it might take you a second. We're going to hold off for you. For millennials out there. Uh, they can get like maybe five minutes to get a pencil and pen. And while they're doing that, we have a caller. Yeah, we'll give you a couple minutes. My millennials, just go ahead and pull up that notes app. I know y'all already ready. And while we are waiting for you all to find your pen and paper somewhere, we got a caller on the line. Doc, do you want to introduce who we have this morning? Uh, this morning we have a friend and colleague of ours. Uh, he is uh, Chaplain Robert Moore, and uh, he's designed a uh, magnificent program called Ubuntu. And we're going to talk to him for about like three to five minutes. Yes, sir. Is that okay with you, Boom? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. I mean, millennia. <laughs> hey, y'all tell us what to do anyway, so let's, let's get him on. <laughs> okay. Is he there? Okay. Hello. How you doing this morning? Ubuntu. Ubuntu. Ubuntu, brother. So uh, we're glad yeah. to have you on the show. Um, could you tell us what Ubuntu is? We got about like three to four minutes for this spot. Yes. Yes, Ubuntu is a uh, terminology meaning humanity. Uh, it sometimes is uh, translated as I am because of you or humanity towards others. Uh, uh, the Ubuntu program is designed specifically for men to discover themselves emotionally, uh, uh, mentally, and spiritually. It's held here at uh, the Goodwill um, at the East Broadway location at 909 East Broadway. Right. Uh, the Mbutu session is a safe uh, place for men to become uh, authentically and ho uh, holistically themselves, to become better men for their family, community, and uh, most importantly, for one another and for themselves. Uh, yes. And so we uh, meet. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, Chaplain Moore, then uh, what days yes. does Mbutu meet? And uh, specifically, oh. is there a phone number? Uh, could you give us that, the days that they meet and yeah. the phone number? Yes. Yeah, so uh, the Ubuntu men's group meet every Saturday here at Goodwill at 909 or 909 East Broadway uh, from 1130 to 1 o'clock. 
and they can reach out to me, Chaplain Rob, at 502-308-0788. So is this a uh, safe place for, uh, especially an African-American male, to be authentic in his um, sharing uh, his experience? Is it a place, a safe Most place? Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a safe, uh, a safe space and place for men overall, and specifically for uh, African-American men to come to, just to decompress. Okay. Uh, I believe that, you know, one of the reasons why it's so much that going out here in the streets and so many young brothers, you know, as I always tell people that as men, and particularly as black men, we've been taught to become uh, Superman, but deep down inside we're Mickey Mouses. Oh, but yeah. as they come here to, go ahead. No, you were saying Superman uh, versus Mickey Mouse internally. Uh, yes. Okay. Could you uh, elaborate on that a little bit more, and then um, we'll see if uh, yeah the millennial has any. Yeah. Uh, yeah just... No, we yeah, thank you. Overall, as as men, we we we've been taught to put on a mask of being a Superman, as that we cannot show any weakness that we uh we can't show any vulnerability uh but deep down inside we we are we, we are vulnerable we have emotions we're uh from the work of shakespeare uh if i if you uh prick me not do i uh, do i not bleed you know we bleed as men and so that's why i came up with the concept of superman to mickey mouse okay, you know that yeah. deep down inside we are uh, Mickey Mouse at time. But yes, go ahead, bro. Okay, then. But we just wanted to highlight you uh, on today's show. And uh, could you give uh -huh. us that number one more time? And then we got to move on down into the uh, show. Uh, so give us the number yeah. where they can call you again, please. Yes, they can call me, uh, Chaplain Rob, here at Goodwill at telephone number 502 uh, all right, brother, take care and be safe out there. And let's say that word together, Umbutu. Is that Umbutu. correct? Umbutu. Umbutu. Okay. Yes, sir, Umbutu. Umbutu. Take I care. because we are. We are. Okay, it's take care, brother. Thank you. Yeah, we love. We really appreciate that, Chaplain Rob. I became a fan of the term Ubuntu probably about a year ago. I just got hip to it. Oh, yeah. I am because we are. We are, yeah. And I learned it from... A couple NBA basketball teams use that as a theme for their season, trying to get to the championship, and I introduced it to my wife and my family, and we use that in oh, our day-to-day -day lives as something to go by. So make sure you all, if you're interested, you know a man, young man that wants to get into that program, reach out to Chaplain Rob at the Goodwill. Um, so back in, let's we run it. We know we got a short show here on the Boomer and the Millennial. <clears throat> And if you've been tuned in the last couple of weeks, you know we've been dissecting the book, The Miseducation of the Negro. And we've been taking it chapter by chapter. We've been getting great feedback, great people to call in on the conversation, talking to us on social media. Um, and we started with the first chapter, which was The Seed of Trouble. The Seed of Trouble, the first week. Last week was How We Missed the Mark. And then this week we are going to dive into How We Drifted away from the truth and if you've been tuned in we've been going over everything from the emancipation proclamation right. um freed men after that time 
um, classical versus practical education in those moments. And today we're going to dive into how we drifted away from the truth. So I'm just going to give everybody listening a little short summary of what chapter three was about. Then I'm going to swing it to Doc because he's been working on um, some great notes and insights that I think you all going to want to hear about this chapter. But in chapter three of The Miseducation of the Negro, written by Carter G. Wilson, Wilson argues that whether in science, history, or literature, whites in America have been taught that their cultural contributions to American society were superior to those of black. So they was, we, the school system was teaching us like that. And this type of teaching, he believes, has built in whites a race hate of the Negro and then the Negroes contempt for themselves. Right. I'm going to say that because it might have been choppy. So this type of teaching, he believes, has built in whites a race hate of the Negro and in the Negroes contempt for themselves. And this is one of the main themes of Woodson's book. If you distort a people's history, you will eventually distort a people's future. The perpetuation of inaccuracies in the historical record, which elevated European culture and denigrated that of Africans, was a grave injustice. Um, and that's what he talks about in this chapter, and he gives several different examples. So, Doc, you know, what, what did you get out of this chapter? Uh, I just want to amplify what you said. Uh, if you distort a people's history, you will eventually distort a people's future. Somewhere I uh, saw a protest sign, and the sign said, the system isn't broke. It was designed that way. Mm. And so what I get out of chapter three is how we drifted away from the truth is, uh, in that chapter he talks about uh, the workers who came after the Civil War and the slaves were free. He said the people who were trying to help uh, the free uh, slaves had more enthusiasm than knowledge. Uh, they had little understanding of the task before them. So they had the enthusiasm, but they didn't have the platform. Mm. Uh, they didn't have the, the knowledge. And we see that happening today in our public school systems when we have other teachers trying to teach uh, our, our young people, especially African-American males. Mm -hmm. The second thing I want to bring to your attention is the fact that uh, Brother uh, Woodson said more, they had uh, more of an effort of social uplift. Okay, so they wanted to uh, uplift us socially than they had uh, actual education. So we needed the education, right, to induce from the experience, okay, uh, the other thing was, he said, they, the aim was to transform, okay, that's a very important word, to transform the uh, Negro instead of develop them. So transform to me means like they wanted to teach us how to become like them. Mm -hmm. I, like what Muhammad Ali said one time, I can't be who you want me to be. I have to be myself. Another thing is that the friends of the Negro, they were ill-taught themselves, so they didn't know anything about us. Mm -hmm. And so how, if you don't know anything about somebody, how can you consider the matter in trying to help them? And the fourth thing I pulled out uh, is design, the social construct. So if you look at all this, uh, Brother uh, Gaines, you would see that this whole thing was a mismatch uh, the opportunity was there, but the presentation of help was deficit. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it piggybacks off of last week's chapter, how we missed the mark. Right. Because obviously the mark was missed, but like you said, it, you got to look at the times, the historical context. Right. In that 
time period after the Emancipation Proclamation, where f- slaves were freed, free, right. it's, you know, something's got to happen fast. Oh, and yeah. we had to do, you know, what we could do with what we were what presenting. What we had. And then look at the whole uh, context of the matter. The fourth thing was the design and control of planning. So they just took over everything. They colonized still yet. They just took over everything. They planned everything. And they paid less attention to what? The Asian American or the Asian, or they paid less attention to the Native American. Uh, They paid definitely less attention to the brown. And they paid practically no attention to who? The blacks. So the black were on the bottom of the racial hierarchy. And I question myself, why does a racial hierarchy have to exist if we all created in the image of God? So this shows thematically that there's something definitely wrong, okay? Um, I have some other notes. Um, If we look at what Woodson was doing, it was the examination of Negro from sciences. They barred that, they -hmm. controlled that. If you ever go to the uh, ER, you have an emergency, if you go to a hospital waiting room, you will ask yourself, you see all the essential workers, right? Mm-hmm. The people, the custodians, the cellar, you see them all the time. But when you look out on the platform of assistance, you hardly ever see any African-American, what? Doctors. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you may see an African-American nurse or two, but that whole platform, then you go back to the source. Why isn't it there more African-American doctors? Mm-hmm. You don't see that, so that's the sciences. So they kept us out of that. And on that science, yeah. you know, kept us out of that. And like Carter G. Woodson talked about, trying to distort a people's history. Right. Because Africans have always had a rich history oh, yeah. of sciences and that they don't teach about that. You know, Africans, when it came to embalming, right. you know, embalming was a practice that was done by the Africans and people wondered how it was done. done, The different monuments in Africa, like the pyramids, people today still can't even figure out how to replicate some of those monuments. So when you look at that, it just goes to show you and it gives you visual evidence of how the American education system has distorted black people's history when it comes to science, history, or literature, and when it, and just right. and that's just on the science part. Uh, well, and then like you mentioned, uh, history, right? And so if you look at history, they had no idea of our history because the history goes all the way back to, uh, say, like the history of Sudan. Uh, that's Tariq A. Sudan, uh, which is the history of Sudan, is relative to what? West Africa. And in West Africa, this history was chronicled, written in uh, Arabic in around 1655, okay? So at that time, when this history was written, then they had already bought, what, people what, to Jamestown, Virginia in 1619. Mm-hmm. But uh, they were just very uh, presumptuous. Now, the Sudan history led to the Songhe Empire, which was one of the largest states in the African that dominated the Western Sudan. So you were trying to um, discount and lower and debase of people who already had a history in science, what? in medicine, et cetera, and literature. Most of the Greeks, guess where they came to study at, man? Where? They came to the motherland. They came to Africa. They studied under the Africans. Then they went back to Greece. Okay, so you got barbecue. You make barbecue, all right? So, but I come to learn how you make barbecue. 
I smile and everything, learn your whole recipe, and then I turn it into uh, some of the best barbecue in the land, mm -hmm. and I put a sign on it. But it's your barbecue. And so that's what happens. So you come and you take and steal the intellect, then you make it your own. And, and then you and you erase it erase from it. them, just like the instances I know a lot of people have heard. You see pyramids, statues of figures in Africa with their nose shot off. Right. That's yeah. just one example. And, when it, and back on the science part, yeah. you know, they try to omit sciences, but Africans were able to concoct poisons for the arrowheads. Right, right. Africans, and this is, you know, a long, long time ago. Uh, being able to mix durable colors for paintings, extract metals from nature, and refine them for development in industrial arts. You know, these are all different examples of how science, especially what Carter G. Woodson was talking about, has been omitted from our education system. And then when it comes to literature, because this, this chapter focuses on how science, history, and literature, right. that whites have cult culturally appropriated all of those things from us. From literature, right. you know, I think it's an even bigger issue in literature oh, yeah. because Africans have been excluded almost altogether, uh, altogether right. when it comes to literature. Right. You don't read not one African philosopher while you're in school. Now, can you see the <laughs> parallel, contemporary uh, parallel? So they take all of that weight. All right, so the only time we experience what? Black history is what? February? Yes, sir. I'm, I'm African American 365 days a year. So my history, I can't uh, wait for my oppressor to mm. teach me my history. There are things that we can do, become responsible for ourselves. We got all these churches. We can open these churches, some of them on Saturday mornings, mm -hmm. and create our own uh, history curriculum. That's a key word that Woodson used is curricula. And curricula, our curriculum is uh, the course of study. But look at the trajectory of the course of study that you and I have been on. If we didn't look outside of our experience as black men, we probably wouldn't have gone to college, et cetera. But there was somebody who put a book in our hand, mm -hmm. and it wasn't always about a classical Greek, mm -hmm. okay? Because when I was a little boy, I used to go to the Western Library, man, and look at all the bibliographies on all them African-American people. But I didn't see that in my classroom. So that brings you to another point, me to another point, teachers, man. Yes, we sir. Are, uh, what, I mean, what did Woodson say that resonated with you about the teachers? Did he say anything that was meaningful about no, I really love this, and I really love this part of the chapter because I'm the son of two educators. Right. Teachers, been principals. Um, so education has always been important in my family. And like you said, my parents were the ones who f forced the book onto me right. to study. Right. And I always, you know, you got to listen to your parents. But always at the back of my mind, for some reason, I had some type of resentment towards the education that I was going to get. And I never understood why that was until he, here in my grown adult years. Um, and, and now I can understand. And in this chapter, he talks about how there's teachers. You know, he explains how he feels teachers are, however, powerless. Right. You know, black people have no control over their education and have little voice in their other affairs pertaining thereto. So his example is, in a few cases, black people have been chosen as members of public boards of education, and some have been appointed members of private boards. But these black people are always such a small minority that they do not figure in the final working out of the educational program. The education of the black person, then the most important thing in the uplift of the black person is almost entirely in the hands of those who have enslaved them and now segregate them. Right. And uh, with the part I really love about this 
part of the chapter is how he says, even if you take the highest educated black man, this right. is not all instances. Oh, yeah. Nothing's absolute. Yeah, right. This is just a general statement. But even if you take a, a higher educated black man or woman to lead this school, because of the education that they right. got here in America, they're right. only going to teach you the same thing that, that the white man would have taught you. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that's what this book is explaining, you know, throughout from beginning to end is that not that education is bad, but at some point as a black man or black woman here in America, you have to figure out when you need to separate yourself oh, yeah, because and you educate yourself elsewhere. Or if you don't, then ultimately at the core essence of it, an educated black man or woman is just an extension of the white man. Oh, yo, you become an extension, so you become a carbon copy of that system that's oppressing you. So when you go to the school board meeting, are you representing blacks? You don't really speak up for blacks. You accommodate the matter, and you act like your oppressor in trying to be diplomatic. Yes, sir, and that's and why in all cases I'm a firm believer of resisting. In all cases, you whatever. Resisting like uh, Frederick Douglass? Resisting like Frederick Douglass. Agitate, agitate, agitate. Agitate, agitate. Resist like my first, our first episode on here when I talked about when the slaves, when Africans were captured and enslaved right. and were being brought on the boats across to America. The uh, slavers had to keep them alive and feed them some right. type of slop. Right. These Africans couldn't speak the same language. They didn't understand what was going on, but they knew the one thing they could do was still resist resist eating the food that they was putting up to their mouth that was the only power they had and, and and this book further accentuates the necessity for black people to always resist even if you feel like you've learned this in school this is what somebody told you resist it question it question. do the research yeah. yourself and come up with your own answers because this world is bigger than what you already what know experience uh you know, like the chapter was how we drifted away from the truth. Uh, there are some historical references in the uh, chapter, right, uh, that he alludes to, like uh, the Civil War amendments, right? Okay. And then the Civil War amendments, of course, you know, they were what, the uh, 13th, 13th, 14th, and 15th. the uh, 15th Amendment. So these are the Reconstruction Amendments, are the Civil War uh, Amendments. And we know the First Amendment, 13, was to what? Abolish slavery. Uh, the 14th was for citizenship rights. Yes, sir. And the 15th is for what? Voting. Yes, and sir. so he kind of looks at these. But these were became uh, matters uh, are concerned for some Southerners to want to what? Nullify. Can you imagine that? They want to resent, <laughs> rescind that so they can block and become an instruction to the power and rise of black people. Uh, the other thing is that they had, like, was the black codes. Yeah. And I know you're, you understand this, that the black codes were really uh, black laws. Basically, they were laws governing the conduct of African-Americans, free, and uh, free blacks. So can you imagine the instructions that not only with the educational that you were getting, the classical education, and you have to deal with all these hoops you have to go through. So the emotional mindset mm -hmm. of the African-American at that time. So we have to be some powerful people, man. You gotta be some powerful people. When you, you know, on this show we've talked about from the beginning, from where blacks were captured in Africa, and now we're talking about um, after the Emancipation Proclamation, so late 1800s, right. early 1900s. Right. And the one common thing that's been consistent through it all is that we have always continued to fight and continue to uh, 
keep going, keep our engine running. So the question is now I have for you, Doc, we've we've alluded what the main topics of this conversation is about in this chapter, but how do we as a people, you know, change this course of action? How can we start to gain control of our education back? How do we educate the next generation of young black kids coming up since we know this now? You know, this right. book's been out for 100 years. Yeah, 100 years, right. So we know this now. How do we um, grab hold of this next generation so that they don't go up through the same American system and become enslaved in the mind? Uh, You know, this book, uh, like you say, 100 years or so, uh, Dr. King will raise the same question, where do we go from here? Uh, Number one, I think, uh, one, we must reclaim ownership. So we have the infrastructure exists as existed in the public school system, but we also have our own teachers in our communities. What would happen if there was a, uh, a group of churches that came together yeah. and they started Saturday morning academies? Academy wouldn't have to be long. And in these academies, you would start teaching our own uh, young people, our own history. Okay, because there was history in Africa before the slave ships came to America. Mm -hmm. So that would be number one. Number two would be the recognition that this needs to happen. Because we don't change things, things won't change. If we don't change things, things won't change. Mm. So we do not need to participate anymore in the matter of our own self-colonization. So we claim ownership our leaders become more responsible to the constituency that they represent. I mean, we all are somebody's descendant from a slave ship. And so it's no matter, I can try to be your friend all day long. If you don't want to be my friend, ain't no sense to me keep trying to, you know, get you to be my friend. So in me doing that, I'm wasting energy. So I need to go and create my own. And if we can collaborate at some point, then good. But in the meantime, we got children to take care of. We got young men that need to be saved in our streets. We need voices to speak up, but not only in resistance, but let's turn around and look at our own selves in the mirror. What can we do? We can start cleaning up our neighborhoods. You don't need nobody to tell you how to clean up your neighborhood. We can start standing up like men uh, in the sense that we take the responsibility. Uh, economically. So we can do things economically. If I don't have a job, I get me three lawnmowers. I create me a business. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many factors. So ownership, taking responsibility, that responsibility with application towards infrastructure development Mm -hmm. in our own neighborhoods, using our own churches collaboratively as resources to actually start uh, building a platform. I mean, I got so much more, man, because <laughs> I've seen this stuff, man. Now, I know you, and this stuff is it's real. It's like wolves waiting at your front door. They know that you got to come out and go and get something to eat. And that's the truth. And, and the word, my word, <laughs> right, my word this past year that I've been preaching to friends, family, peers, is being intentional. So if you're listening to this, if you take anything from this episode, I want you to understand the the value of being intentional, being intentional with how we parents and our kids, being intentional on the things that we're teaching our kids, being intentional on how we carry ourselves throughout the day, being intentional on how we interact with our friends and family members. You know, we have to be more intentional with what we are trying to do in this life 
And that's how we will get the results. And if you're asking, how does Colors, Inc., how does Colors Newspaper contribute to the things that we're talking about? One, we have Colors Newspaper, which we have a fresh new copy out right now. So stop by your local black-owned business to get your latest issue of Colors Newspaper. And this newspaper is a platform that we use to give a voice to black people in the city of Louisville. You know, we have teachers that write in there, residents of the West End are writing there, ministers. Doc Robinson here, our very own, the hood professor, writes in there. And this is a platform that we use to be able to communicate with each other because I'm a, I believe in communication is that first step of us strategizing so we can be more intentional. Also, every third Saturday of the month, we have these community meetings, which we will pick back up next month. Summer break is over with now. So we have these community meetings every third Saturday and every month we have a different topic. One topic might be financial literacy. The next topic might be what we talked about today, understanding our own culture and history. Um, You know, there's different ways and different platforms. So make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Colors Newspaper so you can stay in tune with the different programs that we have out. Can I read this or say this in about 30 seconds? to sing, I too sing America by Langston Hughes. He goes like this. I too sing America. I am the darker brother. They send me to eat in the kitchen. When company comes, but I laugh and eat well and grow strong. Tomorrow, I'll be able to sit at the table. When company comes, Nobody dare say to me, eat in the kitchen. Then, besides, they'll see how beautiful we are, and they will be ashamed. And we, too, sing America. Beautiful, beautiful. We've run out of time today. I hope you all got something out of here, got some good notes. We will see you all next Wednesday at the same time right here on WLLV, Louisville's favorite gospel radio station.